Three Times Lucky by Sheila Turnage, Chapter 23, Creative Chaos. By the next morning, Hurricane Amy had hit the warm Gulf Stream waters and swerved north. She's coming, Miss Rose said, clicking the television off. You three get the house ready. I'm going to head into town for supplies, batteries, candles, drinking water. Dale, find the transistor radio, honey, and make sure it's working. Then tie down the stable and the yard. Mo, could you give him a hand? I nodded, trying not to think of the colonel and Miss Lana. It didn't work. She grabbed her keys and gave me a quick hug. Mo, you know why Star hasn't found Lana, don't you? Because Slate is a reptile, making it impossible to guess where he is or when he's going to strike, I guessed. Because he's greedy and he's smart, she said. Slate believes Lana's worth half a million dollars. Believe me, he'll keep her safe so he can cash in. We'll find her, Mo. We just need some faith, all right? Yes, ma'am, I said, hoping she was right. I looked across the barnyard as she drove away. To the east, the clouds gathered like an invading army. Dale and I tied down the porch furniture and headed for the stable. The wind had picked up. It rolled across the fields in waves, tearing the brittle tobacco leaves. As I watched the clouds boil towards us, toward us, I made a decision. If Slate calls again, I'm paying the ransom, I told Dale. With what? he asked, scurrying up the rough wood ladder to the stable loft. We ain't got ten dollars between us. Slate don't know that. You're nuts. Stand back, he called, dropping a bale of hay. I cut the rough baling twine with his pocket knife and carried an armload of prickly, sweet-smelling hay to Cleo's stall. She'll be extra hungry, hungry, he said, looking at the sky. She always is in a hurricane. Same thing happens to me. He led Cleo into the stall and removed her bridle. You'll be okay, he told her, running his hand along her flank. You'll do just fine. We spent the rest of the morning putting up or tying down anything the wind could throw or steal. Liz stuck close as the clouds rolled in dark and sullen. She's clingy, Dale said, nudging her out of the way with his knee. She feels the storm. By lunchtime, the storm had claimed half the sky. The tops of limber young pines swayed in the wind as giant oaks and pecan trees groaned and creaked. Hey, deputy, Dale yelled as we slammed the back door and swarmed the kitchen. You want a cucumber sandwich? Silence. We found her stretched out on the settee, asleep with her mouth open, her hand curled over her pistol. How can she sleep with a hurricane coming? I asked. Shh, Dale said. She got in late. She left us? Why? She's supposed to be waiting for Slate's call. He shrugged. Let's eat. We tiptoed back to the kitchen. Halfway through our sandwiches, the phone jangled, and we both jumped. Slate! I cried, reaching for the phone. He knocked my hand away. No, we got to trace the call. I'll get Deputy Marla. He sprinted across the room. As he cleared the doorway, I grabbed the phone. Slate, mow the bow. You win, dirtbag. I know where your half million dollars is. I'll take you to it as soon as you give the Colonel and Miss Lana back. I get them, you get the money. Deal? The voice on the end of the line came through scratchy and thin. Soldier? My heart exploded like fireworks. Colonel? Listen to me, he said. I've escaped. The call faded, then puffed back in. Slate's after me. As soon I lose Slate, return, free Lana. The call faded again. Colonel, my closet, shelf, packet, to roses. Don't trust anyone. But Star says, don't trust. Star, don't trust. Why not? I heard a hollow click. Deputy Marla had cut into our line. Go, he said, his voice full of urgency. 
I don't have to, moron, I snapped, hoping he would play along. I already told you, I don't want your stupid all-expense-paid vacation. Neither does Deputy Marla. Ask her yourself, jerk brain. She just came on the line. It worked. The colonel hung up. I stood in the kitchen, my heart turning handsprings. The colonel was free. Soon Miss Lana would be too. I wanted to laugh out loud. He's free, he's free, he's free, my heart pumped. As Deputy Marla charged down the hall, I smoothed the grin off my face. Think. Tell her the colonel's free and Star will be her first call. And Star can't be trusted. I chewed my lip, trying to remember if she had met the colonel, if she might have recognized his voice. She answered the question for me. Telemarketer? She asked, stepping into the room. I nodded, trying to look miserable. I had to go home, find that packet, and get back before the storm hit. Yeah, I said. False alarm. You can go back to sleep. I'm caught up with the rest, she said, stretching. Why weren't you here last night? I asked. Slate might have called. Joe said he needed my help with some reports, she said, reaching for the mayonnaise. It was a calculated risk. What with your what was your telemarketer selling? A cruise, I grinned. Into a hurricane. Come on, Dale. We still got to tie things down at the tobacco shelter. Maybe we can let that stuff blow away, he muttered. Deputy Marla stifled a yawn. Stay where I can see you, she called as the screen door slapped shut behind us. It took me ten seconds flat to clue Dale in. We got to go to my place. I'm swearing you to secrecy, I told him. Think me out on this and your life won't be worth goose spit. I don't think you should threaten a partner. Plus, geese don't spit, he said. He grabbed my arm. And your house is a crime scene, he cried as if he just thought of it, which maybe he had. I could get grounded for the rest of my life. At least we'll be grounded together. Great, he mumbled. You in or you out, I demanded. I'm in, he said miserably, but you owe me, Mo LeBeau. We grabbed Dale's faded red bike and sprinted across the yard. At the edge of the asphalt, he swung onto the saddle. Hurry, he said, hop on. I landed neatly on the handlebars. Within moments, we flew along the road, Dale standing and pumping the pedals while I leaned back, holding my legs away from the spokes. We met just one truck on the way to town. That was Daddy, Dale panted. I nodded, trying to ignore the heat of his breath against the back of my neck. He wasn't weaving, I said comfortingly. The scorn in Dale's voice could have curled my hair. Don't mean nothing, he said. He mostly drives straighter drunk than he does sober. Five minutes later, we passed the Welcome to Tupelo landing sign. The wind gusted, shaking dead limbs from the trees and perfuming the air with their scent. Steer clear of the Piggly Wiggly, I told Dale. We don't want nobody to see us. Instead of swerving left, as I expected, Dale rocked back hard on the pedals. We skidded to a halt, and the bicycle spit me forward. I landed on my feet, running. If you want to decide where we're going, you pedal, he said, his face flushed. What have you been eating, lead? I've been eating your mama's cooking, I said, trotting back to him. Hop on. I pedaled the rest of the way to the cafe. Shh, I told Dale, lifting the yellow crime scene tape. It was spooky inside, dark and gloomy, partly from the thickening clouds and partly because the furniture lay sprawled across the room. This way, I whispered, heading for the colonel's quarters. The door swung open. The closet's over here, I said, grabbing a chair and dragging it across the pine floor. Dale looked at the jump boots standing at attention by the colonel's footlocker. Colonel sure is neat, he said. The colonel says keeping your interior space neat lets you practice creative chaos in your exterior life. Without this sanctuary, he says, you'd have to shoot Miss Lana and leave her for dead. He'd have to shoot Miss Lana and leave her for dead. Hold my chair, Dale. Creative chaos, Dale murmured. That explains a lot. 
I stepped up into the chair and rummaged along the colonel's shelf, pushing aside a shoebox, an old checker set, and a fruitcake left over from Miss Lana's baking binge three Christmases back. I stretched to my tiptoes. Aha, I said, pulling a packet from the back corner. I blew the dust off. Sorry, I said as Dale coughed. I rubbed my arm across the dark brown packet. The word scrawled across its front flap stopped my breath. What on earth? I handed the folder to Dale. Slate, he read. How come the colonel has something with Slate's name on it? I don't know. I hopped down and peeked inside. Newspaper clippings? I scanned the headlines. Slate found guilty. Slate gets life. Underneath lay a legal pad of notes, all of them in the colonel's scrawl. My mouth went dry. Why would the colonel have notes on Slate? I stuffed the folder under my shirt and tucked my shirt tail in, the packet making me swell-chested like an umpire. We'll check this stuff out at your house, I told him, wiggling the packet into place. Let's go. As we sprinted across the living room, something clunked on the front porch. Someone swore softly. Hide! We bolted to Miss Lana's suite and slid under her bed like sliding into home. I held my breath as dusty boots clomped past us and Miss Lana's closet door scricked open. Wicks? This must be the lunatic's room, a man muttered. He backtracked and headed for the colonel's quarters. I closed my eyes as he tore through the colonel's closet, cursed, and finally headed for the front door. Had to be Slate, Dale whispered, squirming forward. Wait, I said, grabbing his arm. Was that a second voice? A woman's voice? I lay still, trying to pan human sounds from the wind. Let's go, I said. We crept into the living room. I felt the shadow in the doorway more than saw it. I wheeled to find Deputy Marla standing behind us, pistol drawn. Well, well, what have we here? She asked. Don't shoot, Dale yelped, raising his hands. The pistol didn't budge. Deputy Marla, I said, crossing my arms over my chest and the colonel's packet. What are you doing here? I have a better question. What are you doing here? Don't say nothing, Dale, I warned. He stood quiet and still. Dale hates guns. We ain't a danger to you, I told her. Ain't no reason to pull a gun. She blinked slowly. No, she said, lowering the weapon. Of course not. I just didn't know who I'd find, she said, her eyes moving to the colonel's quarters. It's just us, Dale said, breathless. Rising sixth graders, I added, staring at the pistol. Unarmed kids. She holstered the gun. Well, what are you two doing at my crime scene? Surely she'd seen Slate, hadn't she? I faked a smile. We're looking for clues like any detective worth their salt. If we found anything, which we didn't, we thought we'd turn it over to you. You could get a promotion out of it. We hope so. She stepped forward, her eyes hard. Dale and I backed up into the colonel's quarters. Star might have missed something, I continued. Her eyes flickered to the colonel's bunk and boots. Plus, I missed my family, I continued. I'm homesick. I told you to stay where I could see you, she replied. Who did she think she was using that teacher voice on us? She kept herself between me and the door, her hand close to her pistol. I looked up into her eyes. It was like looking into the eyes of a snake. The colonel had warned me not to trust Star, but maybe it wasn't Star I needed to worry about. Maybe it was Deputy Marla. I know it might look like we disobeyed you, but that's black and white thinking, I said. Miss Lana says nothing's really black and white except zebras and old movies. Even dreams aren't black and white, unless you're a dog. It was a cheap trick, but like most cheap tricks, it worked. I needed to think, and Dale has never in the 11 years I've known him passed up a chance to talk about a dog. He didn't disappoint. 
Queen Elizabeth II dreams quite a bit, Deputy Marla, he said, relaxing. You ever watch a dog dream? I don't have a dog, she said, keeping her eyes on me. Sometimes Queen Elizabeth prances in her sleep, he said. Her paws flit, or she grins and tosses her head like she's a field of butterflies. One time I think she caught a dream rabbit. I know she caught something, because she shook her head back and forth. But it could have been a squirrel. I'd rather not think it was a rat, he said, lowering his voice. Still, he said, turning to me, I don't know where you get off saying Liz dreams in black and white. I mean, she didn't actually tell you that, I'm pretty sure, he hesitated. Did she? No, I said. I think Miss Lana told me, maybe. She listens to NPR, and unless I'm mistaken, NPR is saying black and white for dog dreams. Deputy Marla interrupted. Well, Miss Lana's wrong. You think dogs dream in color? Dale asked, his face brightening. Me too. I mean, Miss Lana's idea of black and white thinking is psychobabble poppycock, she snapped. They're absolutes in life, and the sooner you learn that, the better. Take you, for example. For instance, she said, staring at me. I've caught you on the wrong side of the law. That means you absolutely have a problem. On the wrong side of what law? I asked. All I did was come home. All you did was lie to a law officer, escape protective custody, and disturb a crime scene, she said. That plus dragging Dale into trouble. Dale just came along to keep me company, I said. He's polite that way. He peddled you over here, she said. That makes him an accomplice. Her glance raked Dale. Your daddy told me he saw you on the highway. He's lucky I didn't arrest him for drunk driving. Dale shifted. Daddy's home, he said. Where's mama? He looked at me, his eyes scared. I got to go back home. What's wrong, she sneered. You afraid of a storm? No, I thought. I'm afraid of you. I took a step toward the door. Well, this has been real nice, but we got a couple more errands to do. I don't think so, she said, grabbing my arm. Her fingers pinched me as a rusty bicycle chain. She gave me a sharp shake. You ain't supposed to shake a kid, I told her, clamping my elbows to my side to keep the colonel's packet from sliding loose. You can cause brain damage. She put her face close to mine. Who called you at the house, she demanded. What are you doing over here? Nobody called me. We ain't doing nothing, I said. And she shook me again, snapping my head back. Hey, Dale shouted, moving toward her. Leave her alone. Anger raced across her face like fire across a wheat field. I'm tired of your redneck mouth, she said, pushing Dale with her free hand. Calm down, Dale, I said. She won't hurt me. She ain't stupid enough to get herself a child abuse a charge. Doubt flickered across her face and her grip loosened, barely. Why so angry? not because a couple of kids gave her the slip. I wiggled my arm to test her grasp. How did you know where to find us? I told you, Dale's father. Bull, I said. We didn't tell him where we were going. That's right, Dale said, and I kept the bike on the pavement so you didn't track us either. Her eyes narrowed. What I know is none of your business. Deputy Marla didn't follow us here. She couldn't have. She came on her own. Either she overheard the colonel on the phone or Slate tipped her off. She was mad because we got here first. She took me, shook me again, and the colonel's packet slid out from under my shirt. What the heck? She muttered, reaching for it. Dale, I shouted. Set down. Hut, hut, hut. He sprinted toward the door. I dropped back three paces as Dale did a neat button hook. The colonel's packet sailed up and over Deputy Marla's hands toward Dale's outstretched arms. She whirled toward him, and when she did, I picked up the colonel's steel-toed boots and swung it with all my might. She threw an arm over her face and ducked as she twisted on the waxed floor. Her feet flew up and her head cracked against the corner of the bunk. 
She crashed to the floor like a sack of rotten onions. Shoot, Dale gasped into a stop. You killed her. I did not, I said, hoping it was true. She moaned. See, she ain't dead. Help me to tie her up. No, he said, backing away. You can't hit deputies and tie them up. Even my people know that. I didn't hit her. I missed, I said. She fell down. Help me, Dale. Miss Lana needs us. I rushed to the closet and plucked out both of the colonel's neckties. Here, I said, tossing the one with flamingos to Dale. The colonel wears this, he said, holding it at arm's length. I grabbed the light-up clip-on featuring Charleston's rainbow row and tied it over Deputy Marla's mouth. Miss Lana, Christmas before last, I told him. Hurry. We lashed her hands behind her with the flamingos and knotted her shoestrings together. Finally, I snagged the packet and the, the colonel's bayonet. By the time I scampered down the steps, Dale had already rounded the side of the building. Dale, I shouted, you forgot your bike. He didn't look back. A gusty wind rattled the maples and shook the pines as I dropped the packet by Deputy Marla's car. It's harder to flatten a tire than I expected, but by the time I got to the car's fourth tire, I had my technique down. Placed the point of the bayonet just so and slammed the handle with a landscaping stone. As the car sank to its rims, Joe Starr's voice crackled through the radio. Marla, come in. I stared at it. If no one answered, he'd come to Miss Rose's for sure. I grabbed the radio. Hey, Joe, I said, making my voice low. Marla, is everything okay there? Why aren't you by the phone? I tried to deepen my voice. I'm securing the vehicle. In a way, it was true. Star's silence crackled. I'm riding out the storm at Priscilla's. You stay put and keep those kids safe. Over and out. I hope she does stay put, I thought. I looked for the colonel's packet. No, I breathed. The wind had pried it open and articles skittered toward the creek. I pounced, cramming all I could reach inside the packet and looked at the sky. Hey, Dale, I shouted, running for the bike. Wait for me.